Each baby we meet in the here and now presents a primary subjectivity and is able to discriminate the communication coming from the mother or the psychoanalyst. This communication occurs through an affective language where gestures, facial expressions, voice, musicality, and body expression occupy the place that is not yet possible to be assured by verbal language. However, even though understanding occurs through the non-lexical aspect, verbal interpretation is present and is essential not only for the baby, but for the work of restoring the mother's narcissism an indispensable condition in any treatment with babies. Talks on psychoanalysis shares topics published in the IPA Society journals and Congress debates worldwide, brought to you in the voices of the original authors. We hope this window will allow you to experience the depth and breadth of psychoanalytic thought around the world. This podcast has been created by Gaetano Pellegrini and edited by Gaetano Pellegrini and Andy Cohen. Introduction read by Andy Cohen. To stay informed about the latest podcast releases, please sign up today. In this podcast, we hear from Deborah Regina Unikowski about the baby on the couch. Here she shares insights about her work with babies and parents and how this helps us better understand the baby within the mind of the adult. These findings provide an illuminating framework for working with patients during the pandemic. The Baby on the Couch is also the title of her course offered at the Psychoanalytic Society of Rio de Janeiro in 2018, which was also presented at the 27th Brazilian Congress of Psychoanalysis in 2019. Deborah Regina Unokowski, born in Porto Alegre, is a training analyst, child and adolescent psychoanalyst at the Psychoanalytical Society of Rio de Janeiro and current director of the Institute for Teaching Psychoanalysis. Her interest in babies and the beginnings of mental life goes back to her internship at the Unité des Petits at the Rothschild Foundation in Paris working with Miriam David, where she observed young, at-risk children in the prevention of autism and childhood psychosis. She also worked with pregnant women in Venezuela and participated in the action formation research conducted by Serge Lebovici, observing and treating mothers and babies in a child mental protection center. Now back in Brazil, in addition to working in private practice in Rio de Janeiro, Deborah also disseminates psychoanalysis among health and education professionals. I have long been interested in babies in psychoanalysis. I believe that the roots of emotional difficulties are found very early in life and even in parental fantasies before conception itself. Therefore, the sooner we can help parents and babies, the more malleability we will find to work possible obstacles, undoing the knot of the current difficulty and allowing the life instinct and the force of development to assist us towards psychic change and growth. With psychoanalytical listening, we can work with parental guidance, parent-infant psychotherapy, and even undertake psychoanalytical processes with very small patients, each one of these with their own peculiarities. 
In order to choose the way we work, it will be necessary to take into account different aspects, such as how was the referral process? What is the urgency? In whom is the greatest suffering concentrated on? What is the availability of the parental couple and each parent to expose their difficulties? Among so many other questions. Those who are able to ask for help and how they present their demand usually define the choice of treatment, which will certainly be the best possible approach, an opportunity to give voice to anxiety, taking into account narcissistic fragility and the ability to think and identify with this child and also with the baby that lives in the adult's mind. Parents seek help, bringing their personal history and fantasies, exposing their ability to communicate and create meaning. The baby will be the central figure, a very sensitive catalyst, capable of evoking memories and feelings with the emotional force of his presence. In general, it is through the body that babies show their suffering and thus awaken their parents to seek help. The analysts will have to welcome, contain, and find the ability to reinforce or even create bonds between the protagonists, taking care of everyone's primitive mental states, including his own. In a much summarized way, we see that in the counseling work, listening will be concentrated to the parent's report, leaving for the analyst to make a space without the baby's physical presence, both for the baby and for the parents, helping mainly in the development of parental functions and identities of either the mother or the father, reinforcing parental narcissism in the consolidation of this couple and this newborn family. On the other hand, in parent-baby psychotherapy, the psychoanalyst's role will be that of a symbolic protector, one who in the presence of the baby will illuminate and interpret unconscious conflicts, linking the past to the present. In this way, helping parents to express emotions in words, favoring narratives, so that they can do the best possible as a father and mother and thus give up idealizations regarding maternal and paternal functions. Work done keeping the focus on mother-baby, father-baby, and baby-couple interactions. Also enabling the reduction of parental projections on the child and the reintroduction of the elements already projected. Consequently, modifying libidinal, aggressive, and narcissistic representations and investments. Furthermore, we have baby psychoanalysis, properly speaking, developed from parent-infant consultations with children aged 0 to 3, but having the baby's psyche as the focus of the work. The little one who suffers communicates his grief through somatic or behavior manifestations, since his capacity for verbal communication is incipient or even absent. Therefore, 
all nonverbal communications become very important for the understanding of an individual psychopathology. Moreover, even if it appears in the mother-baby diet, it is clear that two personalities make up this pair and relates to a third object, the analyst. Remembering that the analyst work in the presence of the mother or individually with the child over two years old. In all the different modalities of working with babies, Bill's contributions are fundamental. He compared the mother-baby relation to the analyst-patient relationship. Through projective identification, both the baby and the mother communicate their suffering, welcomed by the analyst's capacity of reverie. Counter-transference constituting the ruder, helping to direct the work of the analyst who uses his bodily sensations, feelings, and reverie to verbalize what is happening at this moment and interpret for the baby in the presence of the mother. Work that continues also with adult patients when we follow the oscillations of mental functioning in the schizoparanoid and depressive positions in contact with the psychotic part and the non-psychotic part of the personality. Each baby we meet in the here and now presents a primary subjectivity and is able to discriminate the communication coming from the mother or the psychoanalyst. This communication occurs through an affective language where gestures, facial expressions, voice, musicality, and body expression occupy the place that is not yet possible to be assured by verbal language. However, even though understanding occurs through the non-lexical aspect, verbal interpretation is present and is essential not only for the baby, but for the work of restoring the mother's narcissism, an indispensable condition in any treatment with babies. How would that be during pandemic and with online appointments? How could we work with babies, including those babies that inhabit us? Within this scenario and throughout this journey, I have been learning a lot from my patients, and therefore I would like in this podcast to talk about how the baby in each child or adult, and even in the analyst, has become more visible and present, bluntly manifesting its himself. Babies and children react strongly to changes in the environment. They are like radars detecting the emotional climate of the environment, especially regarding their parents, and like a sponge, absorb anxieties a lot. Therefore, it could not have been different during the COVID-19 pandemic, when the daily routine had to change radically, and the climate of fear of contagion and the threat of death touches all of us, deeply altering our relations greatly. Especially in Brazil, where we used to have a lot of help with household cores, it was especially challenging for parents to take full care of their children and home, in addition to work. 
which, as it became virtual, increased considerably in the number of working hours. Besides, the haunting or real loss of employment and concerns about family finances and the falling of the economy have generated a climate of general insecurity and fear about the future. On the one hand, a greater possibility of coexisting between parents and children demonstrated, in addition to the problems, that this new way of life could not only be harmful, but also a way to bring the family closer. If, on the one hand, socialization in daycare centers and schools disappeared and teachers limited themselves to online contacts with students, on the other hand, the presence of parents working at home could be beneficial when the irritability of the overload of professional and domestic work allow it. The relation between with time and space change without natural breaks and variations in scenario back and forth from home to work with less leisure options and without the commuting time commuting time in large cities meetings took place outside the usual hours and we saw distressed parents going out of their way to help their children with school duties, often putting the little ones to sleep and returning to the computer for even longer, following work through the night and experiencing an endless repetition. This lack of real pauses in the routine of quarantine times is very reminiscent of the beginning of life, when the mother's total availability to find together with her baby the rhythms of sleep and feeding is fundamental. Moment when the 24 hours of one day join those of the next day, giving the impression that there is no differences, not between day and night, nor between mother and child making us believe that the rest of our lives will be of prompt attention to the other, with no place for resting or any free time for the mother. Where postpartum depression finds fertile ground and sometimes puerperal psychosis can erupt. It is the time for development of the reverie function, this ability to harbor the child's anxieties and with which mother will update her primitive anxieties. Nevertheless, however good the mother's relationship was with her own mother, insecurity would be present with doubts, fears, and anxieties for fear of not understanding baby needs. In fact, this moment of initial chaos becomes less threatening when the father, the pediatrician, and the grandmother, not necessarily in this order of importance, are able to reinforce the mother's narcissism. Therefore, they can give support so that the mother can fully use her capacity of reverie. Confinement in the pandemic reactivated the beginnings of existence and we all, in one way or another, experienced moments of regression. Nightmares stirred up 
the sleep of parents and children quite a lot, and many double beds became like camping, with the whole family gathering there, as if the parents could reincorporate the babies already born. Bodies glued together to appease deep anxieties, parents calming their children, and children taking the place of phobic objects for their parents. To undertake children in psychotherapy online was quite new, even though we had accumulated the experience of telephone or Skype sessions with adults. Moreover, many babies got help indirectly through their parents in analysis. Most patients talked about their internal chaos and their fantasies of abandonment through complaints about their children's demands for attention or their problems with demanding bosses. Are those tasks to be able to handle so many things in a world upside down? Where maintaining an analytical process was the lifeline and, at the same time, one more requirement among many favoring various resistance. Requests to reduce the number of sessions or, or even interrupt treatment when the patient did not have a good object interjected that could allow himself to believe in the ability to manage this new reality with his analyst. We all plunged into anxiety and distressing situations, which led us to get in touch with very old experiences. The fear of contagion and the disease itself, with its terrifying threat of death, the danger arising from all sides and mainly the result of relations with our peers has greatly affected us. It was necessary to keep a distance, not only from strangers, but also to separate from friends and family. Bodily closeness has become an imminent danger and has turned lovemaking into a lethal threat. Death was present with the aggravation of shortening farewells and mourning rituals. The houses became war shelters, real bunkers, and staying home meant a return to the supposedly protected maternal womb. Protection that after several months became for many a claustrophobic prison. It was necessary to accept the anguish of each patient implicit in content and emotions mixed with their family and work relationships, at the same time that we needed to deal with our own distress. We listened and worked through reports from adults' patients about their experiences as parents of their children and of their parents, as to deal with virtual life and the impact of this new reality on family life. Unveiling internal words affected by the pandemic. Now, to speak more directly about the baby on the couch, let us return a little to the origins of the mind, the function of fantasy and the anguish of separation. Let us remember that the genetic charge composes the mind whose contact is amalgamated with the experiences in utero, later developed with the exchanges with our first object. Raw material of mental life, the unconscious fantasies determine the color with which the individual perceives 
His internal and external world. Define how he relates to other people and how he lives each experience emotionally since the beginning of life. Modifying transference and contra-transference in the analysis. Unconscious fantasies form the basis of our daily work. They arise in the psychoanalytical setting through dreams, free associations, as well as in non-verbal communications, apprehended by our listening and observation skills, with fluctuating attention, neutrality, abstinence, and having counter-transfers as a compass. We try to put into words the patient's unconscious communication, but also what our own unconscious, unconscious let us know in each session. Through the analysis of adults, adolescents, and children, as well as the observation of babies, it was possible to infer unconscious fantasies as a mental expression of somatic experiences and sensations, realizations of libidinal and destructive desires, as well as content of anxieties. It may seem strange to put the fantasies of very small babies into words, and to describe them was one of the merits of Susan Isaacs in her article, The Nature and Function of Fantasy of 1952. In this text, she exemplified the fantasies of the babies in relation to the desire of the mater maternal breast, as if he could say, I want to suck Being able to arrive at an idea of, I want to eat her all, if the degree of anxiety increased and the desire became very intense. On the other hand, trying to avoid the loss of the mother or her pleasure, the fantasy could be expressed in words such as, I want to keep her inside me. These are common fantasies that reappear both in the analysis of children and adolescents, as well as in adults. Fantasy is often apparently contradictory, but that coexists like in a dream, as well as primitive mental processes which manifest themselves with their omnipotent character. Thomas Ogden, reviewing this fundamental article by Isaacs in the International Journal 2011, Consider her greatest contribution, the notion that fantasy is the process that creates meaning and is the way in which feelings, defense mechanisms, impulses, bodily experience, and others exist in unconscious mental life. Adding that the transfers is a way of fantasizing, a way of thinking for the first time in relation to the analyst, emotional events that could not be thought of when they occurred. Moreover, that the core of fantasy lies in the search for understanding the experience of each human being. In online, online analysis, fantasies emerged in abundance and the transfer was vigorous, opening a gap for frightened, complaining babies to appear in adult patients showing more vulnerability, seeking more arms, but at the same time helping remember nightmares and venturing further into the depth of the unconscious.
ancient paranoid contents were interpreted, mainly the fear of being contaminated by everyone, including the analysts who answered by video or phone. On the other hand, many insisted on denying the gravity of the situation, expressing their discontent in not having sessions in the office, as if the analyst was a selfish person who only thought about his well-being. Others showed that they feared being responsible for bringing the plague and the consequent death to parents, family and friends of the at-risk group, including, of course, the psychoanalysts and though presented catastrophic fantasies of never again meeting loved ones. There was a reactivation of separation anxieties in the transfers and in the counter-transference, each virtual reunion giving feedback to the patient and not less to the analyst of hope of maintaining a good internal object. The threatening virus remained as the bad object loose in the streets, while the protective home needed to be an ideal one. Then the regression to more archaic modes of operation predominated, revealing claustrophobic anxiety that started to appear in places chosen for the analytical session. Thus, Car interiors, building corridors, or locked rooms were the scenery where patients sought more privacy. In a continuous search for a reliable setting as a favorable space of reencounter with the presence of the analyst. Abandonment fantasies manifested themselves in anticipation of the moment to make contact on the phone call or through other channels like Skype or WhatsApp, moments when the fear of virtual disconnection was present as well as of being unable to reestablish contact. Therefore, it was often necessary to confirm schedules as if with a virtual setting, the patient could disappear in the analyst's mind. Somebody transformed in the patient's unconscious fantasy into someone with a centered ego who would be very busy looking at his own navel. In addition, the patient's moments of silence could be confused with the flaws in the virtual connection. On the one other hand, the words penetrating our ears directly through the headphones, the patient's anxieties as well as ours, Determinate counter-transfers as they pave the way for more unconscious communications and the constant need for self-analysis, including increasing analyst dreams with several patients and even former analysts. It is notorious how we are able to lend our voice to the baby who lives in the patient, whatever his chronological age is having access to the baby that exists in us and that appears in a more forceful way as the situations of our external reality become more traumatic. The emergency of visual images followed by metaphors, as exemplified by 
Born Salomonson at the meeting Visual Images and Metaphors of the Therapies in Parent-Baby Psychotherapy, held in Sao Paulo in 2016, could help us and keep helping us in understanding patients' fantasies accompanying our reverie function. Moreover, curiosity and voyeurism were sharpened as we enter patients' homes and had them visiting ours in what we thought was an exceptional moment but ended up becoming a new routine. Patients would tell us details as to the location chosen to carry out the analysis session, inducing us to imagine rooms, beds, doors, and windows in the external reality and in their minds. I could go on exemplifying the different characteristics and peculiarities of our work as analysts during the pandemic and how the babies and adults keep appearing in sessions. But now arise new questions about the desire as well as the implicit resistance to return to the office or not, including all possibilities of returning alternately. That is, with face-to-face -face and virtual sessions, evidencing, without any doubt, that the setting is in the analyst's mind and that the analyst, analysis, as well as life, is extremely dynamics. Each day and each session, we are face-to-face -face with all that is new, and it is precisely the uncertainties that make the love of psychoanalysis an always welcome virus. Thank you. Mm -hmm.